Welcome to episode 56 of the Muck Podcast, where we discuss the dark and sometimes weird true stories in American politics. I'm Tina Jaramillo. And I'm Hillary Doherty. Ooh, Hillary! So listen, I, I made a list this week, because sometimes you look at me and go, what's going on this week? Yes. And I'm like, I got nothing. Listen I have a couple to... things on my list, You do! <laughs> okay, do you want to go first? No, no, you go, okay. you go. Cause I think so, first of all, first thing is that I've been riding my bike a ton. I fucking, I gotta tell you, I got this bike a few years ago. It was under the Christmas tree. Thanks, Santa. And I, then it's been sitting in the backyard. And I actually have to, like, put... The, the handlebars are rusty, bitch. Aww. Like, that's how it's been sitting in the backyard because I get on it and then I don't ride it. So I've been riding it. I rode to the beach uh, a couple times, and I've been riding around the, the track over here in Broward. And uh, anyway, I nothing makes me feel more like a kid than getting on that bicycle. Oh, it's I like love instant, it. It's like you know? What kind you, of bike is it? Because I have like a, a beach cruiser. That's how I have a beach cruiser like yeah. that, and it has, like, the, I have a little bell and I have a yeah. little basket in the me back. Me too. I have no bell, but I do have a basket. It makes me very happy. I have a basket like, in the front and like a, a little rack, like you could put stuff on it. In yes. The yes. <laughs> Do you remember like riding? We used to ride our bikes, these like in a gang of kids around yes. the neighborhood. It was the greatest thing. Oh my like, God. Freedom, I, I remember, freedom. uh, I, I was telling my kids. So, okay. My kids can't ride bikes. What? I have failed as a parent because we got them bikes when they were really little uh-huh. with the training wheels. And it was like, yeah. And then like, it just never happened. And then my oldest son would just he, like, he'll go on the skateboard or a scooter or whatever. And then it just it fell by the wayside. But I feel like he's old enough now. He'll, he should yeah. be able to get so right on I it. Said, I get, but they're just, they are not interested. And I keep telling dang. them like, you're going to get to a time where you're gonna be like, dang, I wish I knew how, how to ride a bike. Yeah. So complete failure. I have failed. Also, that was a and requirement I, when we were kids. Like you oh, had I, to, or you were, yeah. you were not going, like, you where would go you go? Anywhere. Yeah, we had to run alongside everybody on and the bikes. I, and I told, but I told my kids, I'm like, I used to, I remember towing people. Like there would be someone yes! on the back of the bike. I'd have someone on my handlebars. Yeah, like, how many times I've fallen flat on my face on pavement yes. because my sister stopped short on <laughs> accident yes. and busted my face. Come on. No, it's the I best. I need to get these Riding. kids on board with this. Because I, I ride my bike around the neighborhood too. Oh God, it's so much fun. I, I just, nothing makes me happier. So that's one thing that's oh, making me so happy. I love it. Um, also, I want to, because we haven't really talked about this yet, but um, our super number one adorable fan, Barefoot Lobo. <gasps> Barefoot Lobo. He is like the greatest, nicest, super, yes. like I can't even, he's just, just, he's nothing, been nothing but supportive yes. every single fucking week of this podcast. 100%. He shares info or shares yes. it. I mean, everywhere on his social media. Yes. He's just adorable and we love him so much, yes. honey, that he has started his own podcast, which yes. we kind of mentioned when we talked to him on the wrap-up interview, like wrap-up show, whatever. And it's called Hell is Full of Dads. It's so good. It is so... I'm enjoying this podcast so much. And so I listened to the third episode this morning when I was walking around. I was listening to it too. Yeah. I'm halfway through it. I would send him messages and I was like, bro, it's so fucking good. <laughs> so good. And they're talking about... Uh, Anyway, it's a point of view from two dads, which for me is really refreshing to hear because as a mother, I have totally different ideas about like how we should be doing things with kids. And so it's really cool to hear two dads talk about it. And like, I have to tell you, it's not like, yo, it's vulnerable. It's like sensitive to issues. It's honest. It's funny. And, and I, I was mentioning this to you earlier, but the one thing that I, I think is really cool is the, that they talk about how they approach their kids with some of these issues and I found it really interesting and to see like especially from a dad point of view yes and also because they 
Ooh, there I am hitting the mic thing. Sorry. The, um, they're two, but they have two different points of views as, as, as dads even, yes. you know what I mean? Which is so fucking awesome. To so hear. amazing. And I thought it was really interesting. Like on this most recent epi- episode, they talk about, um, this insurrection at the Capitol and how to talk about it because I think barefoot Lobo's daughter is this. She, well, I, I know she's the same age as my daughter and she, um, he talked about having to talk to her about Marjorie Stoneman Douglas yeah. and like just like the conversations that we as parents have to have with our kids today is so different than anything our parents had to ever have yes. conversations with us about. So the, it's yeah, really the only sort of major kind of event that I remember my parents talking to me about my mom ta- is uh, the challenger. Like that was yes. like a big thing yes, that, yes, that, yes. that we were talked about, but that's different. Like that was like this yeah. accident that right. happened, you know, it, it wasn't, it's, <laughs> yes, it, it's so different, different. It's so yeah. different. And, but the thing that I thought was cool with Barefoot Lobo too, is that his older daughter is um, from his first relate his first marriage mm-hmm. relationship. And I love that he said that, you know, they do have differing views politically, mm-hmm. but that he's so um, open about the other perspective that his daughter hears and he's not disparaging and that he's, you know, and he welcomes. Yeah that for his daughter so yeah. that she can have this complete sort of whole view of things. And right. I thought that was really cool and like incredibly mature. Uh, I mean, he's incredibly mature. He, I have and to tell you, healthy I, and this so whole, good. So good. This whole episode, I realized that, um, barefoot Lobo, Lobo, whose real name is Nathan, but I always call him barefoot. Yeah, Lobo. Barefoot Lobo. He'll um, always be barefoot Lobo. Yes. In my heart, <laughs> you're always barefoot Lobo, but I realized how much of a better person he is than me. Like, <laughs> because I'm in the same boat as you barefoot when it comes to my family and I go they're wrong (laughs) I'm right they're wrong so you're you're a much better more enlightened person than me for sure and then his co-host Cody has younger children and so he's you know he's asking barefoot Lobo like all these questions like well how would you approach this how did you you know and I found it so fucking interesting and the other part is it's like um uh, because they're both white men they uh, are not coming in it as like, oh, every, you know, there's a really easy way you can dismiss what's happening yes. in the world as a white man because you are you are steeped in all of that privilege. They completely 100% acknowledge that and recognize it and yes. say it and say, like, here's the way we can make the world better. And I think that it's so really fucking good. important. So really good parenting. Yes, but I don't want to also, I don't want to <laughs> yes. make it sound like it's a heavy, heavy podcast oh, no, because it's, it's so not. Funny. And the <laughs> fucking show ends with Cody doing, a, in a Mickey Mouse voice, talking about the insurrection how the no, world's he ending doesn't. i'm he's halfway like, through <laughs> sorry he's Spoiler. like mickey is basically like get your go bag ready like it was so fucking funny and how about those impersonations though oh, like from yes. episode one yeah grover so good it's so hot i so fuck, i can't even tell you i'm so fucking stoked on this podcast yes. and i don't know why i would expect anything less when yes. he told us he was thinking about it we were so fucking excited yes. for him and the podcast world is like it's so full of so many podcasts yeah and, and this is honestly, a definitely a niche podcast is, because you is. don't really I feel like there's like a lot of moms in a very I don't want to be are so, no 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 I don't want to be like no, cheesy right. about it but like it's like the mom blog you yes. know what I mean oh, our I, wine yeah yeah no I and hear you this is like this really cool yes. other side of it yes. that I love and they're 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 incredibly hip and cool and yeah. also like um 
the stories are so fucking funny. Yeah. When Cody talks about matching pajamas and he's like, oh I fucking refuse to wear photo. it. The photo, I, I, would look, yeah. I lo- had to look it up. I went to, I usually listen and then I went to the video to see the picture and he's like, look at the dog. Like the dog had met. It, the whole <laughs> fucking thing was so funny. Yes. And he joked about how he said that their elf on the shelf had cancer if they oh, touch it. Like I God. fucking, I was dying. It's good. They're it's so good. funny and I'm, I'm just enjoying it and I can't say it enough. I, yes, I just love Definitely this. go check it out, guys. Please. And then also, I wanted to say that um, at the end of our last episode, we finished recording and then my son from the living room goes, wow, I heard a lot of bad words. And I was like, what the fuck? I had no idea. He was, he was sitting so in the next room the entire time. Tina's so like, quiet. well, he snuck out. I was like, ah! I was like, holy shit. Yeah, there he is. It was, is he out there no, again? he's not there now. Okay. He's not there now. Anyway, I thought that was really funny so that my funny. son got to hear all about how I feel about Matt Gates, and oh uh, that was a great episode. So that's Good what episode. I had, and that's... I can't believe that I forgot to say that he voted, yeah, uh, against um, um, certifying the yeah. election. Yeah, so Hello. let's add that in. And another story from this week that I was shocked about, and then we'll jump into our episode. But the Ivanka bathroom story. I, oh, with the with the Secret Service. Yes. Oh my God. Well, it do you expect? Disgusting. Doesn't it sound like just these like guys? That like they got to use the bathroom, and and from the article, the fact that they had to go down to like Obama's house or oh Pence's God. house to use the bathroom because they they couldn't let one of their six bathrooms be used by the Secret Service, who are defending them, who yeah. are who will we'll jump, jump in, in front jump yeah. in front of a bullet for you, but you can't take a piss in my toilet. Like it's so disrespectful so entitled and so disgusting and so trump like it's so trumpy so trump yeah she's gonna roll down into miami and think she's gonna try to be governor or run against i i I don't even know like i will put in every ounce of my time to make sure she is not elected to any damn office down here because she's so gross yeah and uh, one of the articles also noted that they then rented there was like a house next door because they were going to like Obama and Pence or whatever to use the bathroom. And then they decided that the house next door, they rented out a basement bathroom and it was either like 3000 or $10,000 a month. Just so these guys could use the bathroom. Like all of that wasted money. It's so, I mean, it's also, garbage. I mean, I, it's, and I also think it's like a paranoid thing. Like they don't want people oh, near please. them. Like somebody's no, interested. They're just gross and, and they're gross. Naughty. No, it's the whole thing. All right. Are you ready? Tina, I'm so ready. Today, (laughs) I'm going to tell you the story of former Secretary of War, William Belknap. Oh, don't know him. I thought it was somebody else. Yes, let's do it. Come on. Okay. I like the name. In 1869. Whoa! (laughs) Then President Ulysses X. Grant Uh appointed Belknap to Secretary of War after his leadership of the 11th and 15th Volunteer Infantry during several battles of the Civil War. But when rumors surfaced that Belknap received kickbacks for Mm. traderships at U.S. military forts, he trades in his once respected reputation for a tarnished legacy. Mm. So I pick this story because... um, it's an example. Everyone's been talking about impeachment mm-hmm. and um, can he be impeached after the fact? And this is an example of someone who was impeached after the fact. And oh, so I was nice. like, oh, like okay. I, I kind of heard about it and I was like, well, let's cover it on the muck. So the story takes place during this Gilded Age of America. <laughs> and the Gilded Age was this period of vast economic growth that happened from like the mid 
eight, like 1870s through about 1900. But because there was all of this vast economic growth, there's all of this materialism. Mm. And it also, but there was materialism and poverty. And so there's like this gap in between. And there was a ton of political corruption also happening at this time. And so, you know, I'm the English nerd, so I got to bring this in. <laughs> it was Mark Twain and another writer, actually, uh, Charles uh, Dudley Warner, that coined the term the Gilded Age. And it's the idea that like on the surface, everything is shiny and beautiful, mm -hmm. but there's no depth. Like underneath, it's tarnished, it's corrupt, it's bad. And so that's the 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 title that he's given to this period in okay. in America. So before I go into detail, I want to give you a little bit of background on this guy Belknap. Again, there is a ton. I feel like I always give this caveat. Like there is a ton of information. There's <laughs> books. There's all of this. But you know, again, we are here for the muck. Yeah. And so I'm going to touch on major milestones and then jump into the dirt. But you can th go through the sources and uh, find access to a ton of other things if you want to get like the nitty gritty of like what he did in all these battles and things like that. So he's originally from New York, but he moved to Iowa after college. And according to UVA's Miller Center, Belknap had this really solid educational background. You know, he he his undergrad was at Princeton mm. and uh, he graduated in 1848. Then he went to law school at Georgetown, 1851. And then, like I said, he moves to Iowa. And when he's there, he gets elected to the Iowa State Legislature okay. in 1856. He serves two years. And at that time, he was known as an anti-slavery Democrat mm. and then switches to Republican. But we know that, like, the parties then are different yeah. than the parties right, now, right? right? So um, they switch in terms of liberal and conservative around the start of the 20th century. The Civil War is looming. Okay. And he ends up um, serving in uh, some really important battles of the war. And he mm. served as a major in uh, the 15th Iowa uh, Infantry. He was at the Battle of Shiloh, which is like one of the like first battles of the war led by Grant. And it's important because that's when the Union, um, this is according to National Geographic, but it gave Grant the ability to take on this Confederate controlled area of Mississippi. There are like these three battles. It's the Battle of Shiloh, the Battle of Corinth, and the Battle of Vicksburg. And um, our guy Belknap was like instrumental, like wow. fighting in all three of these. So like he was like a really yeah. like recognized war oh, guy, like God, had a good I, reputation. I hate when this shit goes bad. I know. You know like it's come a on, bro. Like just, he has this great reputation. Yeah. Be a patriot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so he gets promoted um you know, so again, he fights in those battles and he gets promoted to a brigadier general in 1864 and he commands the 4th Division of the 17th Corps. And after the war, he's back in Iowa and he ends up serving as the state internal revenue tax collector, which hmm. was like, you know, a big position. So like dealing with money and collecting right. revenue and tax and whatnot. And then he gets tapped by the newly elected President Grant to be the Secretary of War in 1869. Hmm. So the University of Iowa Press further explains that Belknap, he didn't just fight in these battles, but he was cited for for bravery and leadership. And it was that reputation that sort of led Grant to kind of tap him for the Secretary of War position. So like people kind of knew his name. So as Secretary of War, he so he had three different wives because he had a first wife. She died, mm. married again. And that woman died married again. So, Good grief. Yes. But I feel like back then that was sort of like yeah, it was tuberculosis. Like a date, it's, it's like a Dateline episode gone bad. The first two wives died mysteriously yes. too. <laughs> exactly. 
So um, he and his second and then third wife led this really lavish DC lifestyle. Mm. And they were these DC socialites. And um, he was, uh, according to the, this is actually on the United States like Senate website, like he was known for like throwing these huge, like lavish parties. Like it was just decadence everywhere Mm. and everything was very lavish as secretary of war he is in charge of not only the national armed forces but he's also in charge of the army posts okay and um the american indian trade right so all of the trading posts so like if you're on a military base and like you need to get provisions Mm -hmm. you go to the military post and then native americans would also go there for uh, weapons or Hmm provisions or whatever they needed right so Belknap lobbied Congress so that he could be the main guy in charge of all of these posts okay okay so um history.net explains that these posts end up being monopolies because Mm. soldiers were forced to shop there and Native Americans, like I said, also shop there too, but they could jack the prices yes, up on everything. Right, 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 right. And right. so it's like this big money generator. And now he's in charge of all of this. Mm-hmm. And like who can be appointed to run a post? Yeah, not good. Not good. So let's get into it. Get what it. did he do? So beginning around 1870, so very shortly after he's in this position of Secretary of War, he took payments for appointing particular people mm. Uh, to the post in Native American territory. And it was one of the main uh, places was a place called Fort Sill. And these, um, and he got paid. So he took these payments and he got paid on a quarterly basis. And it ended up being to like 20 grand. When I did like the calculation, that's like almost $380,000 today. And it was all of these other kickbacks. So he made a ton of money. And allegedly Belknap's wife, helped this guy named Caleb Marsh by getting her husband, the Secretary of War, to hook up one of Caleb Marsh's guys as the operator of that Fort Sill trading post. And it was basically like, hey, hook me up with that position. We'll split the profits three ways. Like Caleb, you, and the guy running it. And there we go. And so that was like the start of it. Remember I said they're throwing like all these lavish parties and Mm -hmm. whatnot? Mm -hmm. So... Belknap's second and third wives, they came from um, well-to-do families. So the second wife, I can't remember her name, <laughs> but she um, she dies and he ends up marrying his third wife is the second wife's sister. Oh, I love when this yes. happens. So she had like the gone away. The steps in. Yeah, she had gone away for like a while. And when she comes back, they, they, they marry. Yeah. And so, but they those two sisters grew up in this really right. uh, well-to-do family. And according to Coster's article on history.net, they were used to luxury. And Belknap's salary couldn't keep up with the parties and couldn't keep up with the lifestyle Mm. that they wanted. So people started questioning, like, how could he even afford to be doing what he was doing on this D.C. socialite circuit? Because he was only getting paid like $8,000. And they're they're like, we know what his salary is, but he's living in this house. He's throwing these. Like, it didn't make sense. And people are wondering, like, what's... It's so funny because you're reminded... This happens happens every time. They do one of two things. They Like, the FBI agent who was getting all that Russian money that you talked about, he lived. He wore the same dirty-ass suits all the time. And they're hiding it out. They're hiding the money. Or they go way too... They start paying 
major bills and yes. uh, paying off their debts, buying like, houses, <laughs> beach houses. Yeah, they there's go no crazy. in between. It's so it's wild. like the Goodfellas scene yes. again, where she I walks know. in in the fur coat, <laughs> like, like, "What the fuck is this?" It's so good, <laughs> so funny. Dina, I love so that movie. The U.S. Senate site notes that it was a committee from the House of Representatives that found evidence of his kickback scheme, and they note it pointed to quote a pattern of corruption, blatant. Mm. even by the standards of the scandal-tarnished Grant administration. Wow. So there's all this other stuff happening with the right. Grant administration. This is like sort of one, one yeah. thing. Um, we'd ha- we'll have to do more <laughs> stories from that time. Yeah. So he's like the embodiment of the Gilded Age, right? On the surface, he's the war hero, the glittering mm. medals, like everything's great. But underneath, he's this crook taking kickbacks. Yeah. And he's just, he's tarnished. And so the investigation into Belknap begins in 1876. So the charges... So I uh, found the actual like impeachment document. It's like 50 pages long and I, wow. I, I, oh, I have it in our notes and I went through and like read through the articles of impeachment and, and sort of what happened. So though his crime was bribery, um, he was charged in terms of impeachment for high crimes and misdemeanors. Mm-hmm. Specifically, there were five articles of impeachment. So I'm going to kind of summarize because like each of the articles are super long and a lot of them are the same it's just like this happened and then it's like another year like the exact same thing happened and it's like in another article of impeachment so um article one he entered into an agreement where he quote promised to appoint one caleb p marsh to maintain said trading establishment at said military post that thereafter caleb p marsh and one john s evans entered into agreement where basically evans would work the post and then they would yeah take the, the money yeah and then article two um, guilty of high misdemeanor for agreeing to take a $1,500 payment in exchange for the post. Article three, I love this quote, basely prostituting his high office to his lust for private gain did unlawfully and corruptly continue said Evans in said position and permit him to maintain said establishment at said military post during all of said time, et cetera, okay. et cetera. And basically like they, they say that this is to the injury and damage of officers, of soldiers, of like sort of everyone's in, involved in other citizens of the U.S. because it's to the great disgrace and des- detriment of public service. Yes. But I love that he Ugh. basically prostituting uh, yeah. his high office. Um, article four, high crimes and misdemeanors for allowing, basically for allowing these guys to run the post. And then it notes like different years and then the same thing for article five. So it's just noting the different years and times. And then mm-hmm. throughout the article, it's just like this payment happened on this. And like, they wow. just outline it all the way down. So this is the thing that's interesting about this story is the aftermath. So he resigns in March. So they're doing this investigation in 1876 and it's March of 1876. And he's like, Oh, Oh God, they're going to, come after me the house is ready so the house impeaches him first obviously and then it goes to the senate mm-hmm. so so uh two hours before the house impeaches him he runs into grant's office and he's like i'm resigning so that they can't impeach him and a u.s senate page notes that he he cries like he's crying and he's handing oh, in his resignation funny. oh poor thing poor baby to grant and grant is like he's, oh. as he's dabbing the tears with hundred dollar right. bills yeah. And Grant's like, oh, this poor dude. Okay. Oh, God. I'll accept your resignation. Meanwhile, like the House reps are like trying to like cut Grant off at the pass to go, don't sign, don't accept the resignation. We're impeaching him. Wow. And he's like, sorry, dude, it's too (gasps) late. So he like resigned. And so like the House is like, dude, we're like, like we're literally like impeaching this guy. 
What a piece of I shit. I mean. Well, it, you know, like anybody who cries in front of a man, they just break down. I if you mean. start to cry, I mean, go to Seinfeld. When George doesn't know how to get out of his wedding, he just starts, remember that episode? He starts breaking down. Susan's like, oh, you poor baby. Yes. Oh, my God. Fantastic. It's it's wild. So <laughs> the government document notes that then the House ends up in like these conversations on can we yeah. still impeach him? So now it's extended all the time, too, because now they have to argue on whether or not we can impeach right. someone who's just right. resigned. Right. And so... They decide yes. Then the Senate had to vote on whether they could still try him as a citizen because he resigned his position. So they still want to impeach him for the same reasons we talk about Trump wanting to still impeach Trump. Yeah. After the after Biden is sworn in, because is it the same thing where he'll lose all of any kind of like pension or benefits? Like, is it the same thing or I don't, what? I, I didn't see like what the loss would be, but it. I think they just, just want they just like, want to try want him. him. Yes. Okay. Okay. Yes. Got they it. want to try him. Yes. So. The, in, the Senate then impeaches him on, on the five articles, even though he was a citizen, right? Okay. Um, but then they tried to charge him legally. So like, okay, but now you're impeached by the Senate and high crimes and blah, blah, blah. But now can we go after him legally as a citizen Ooh. for these crimes? Because, I mean, he's taking all of this money and he's a yes, scam artist. get it. So they now have to vote. So they all vote. The votes go through impeach. Then they vote again. Do we put this guy on trial? Yes. Do not. They do not get the two thirds no! vote to do it. So he does not get tried like criminally for oh the God. charges. Like you got to make an example of these motherfuckers. No. He's like, boop, gets oh, out. Damn it. It's such bullshit. It's bullshit. Like, it's bullshit. So then the guy takes off to Philly afterwards and he practices law. Cause remember he was an attorney. He opens then, a, st- a yeah. steak, a steak sandwich <laughs> stand. Then he, then he moves back to DC even though his reputation is sort of over and he still works at, as, as an attorney. Wow. So a couple points of interest, because, you know, I always got to have that. But uh, Belknap was recognized, like I said, as a hero. And one of his ancestor, ancestors, Andra Belknap, wrote recently in USA Today because she, she talked about the impeachment and Trump and blah, mm. blah, blah. Mm. And um, she wrote in USA Today that during one of the battles, not only was he injured, but his horse got shot out from under him. Whoa. And he still fought. And I just feel like here's this brave guy who did all this stuff and he throws it all the way for money. You know? But you know, maybe some of these guys are in war. It's like how when they come to life, you yeah. know, maybe that's what he was kind of, he had with those, one of those frame yeah. of minds, like opposite of our beloved barefoot Lobo, who's yes. a total peacenik, right? Yes. Like, you know, peace, peace, peace. This guy was like made to be able to have that mind frame where he can go into war and yeah. be, and just put himself out there put him and out fight. There. I mean, yeah, she also said that he took a alleged like supposedly he took a Confederate soldier prisoner during one battle and he dragged him by his collar like across the field, like just oh, dragged shit. him to like that's it's a, it's I just crazy. That's hot. I just that was very hot. Um, <laughs> another thing that was interesting is that his dad was also a general and served in the Florida and Mexican Wars, mm. and. Uh, a thesis by Dwayne Holtoff for uh, Western Michigan University notes that in 1872, New York Tribune article reported. So remember, they try him in 1876 is when they're like really digging into in the investigation. But in 1872, um, there was an article reporting that post traders were being, quote, farmed out for $12,000 a year. Basically, what? it was complaining about how these posts were appointed. And so there was definitely some scuttlebutt about yeah. like who's getting appointed to these posts right. and all of that. So people were talking. 
people were talking about these posts. Dang. And the thesis also notes that the posts were overcharging, allegedly to meet the kickback payment, right? So they were noting that like these soldiers were like going into debt because of like how high the costs were. That's fucking, it's just, it's and outrageous. These are like that and it fighting, reminds me of Thibodeau. But, it reminds yes. me of Thibodeau when they were charging these free, there were free men that were being charged at the, they're being paid to work on the plantation yes. and then they had to only buy, the only place they can buy food is in yes. the, and then it's here, like, the person's oh, store it's like and they jack charged. it up 100%. It's, it's such garbage. Mm. Such garbage. Uh, Coster also notes that Belknap's third wife really lived it up on those post uh, oh, kickbacks. Yeah. And he writes that she, quote, dropped $6,000. <laughs> yeah. $6,000 back then? Okay. it's a lot of damn money. Um, with Worth of Paris, which is like some, I guess, you know, Fancy. boutique or something. Yes. In one year, she also had an English butler, a French maid, 40 pairs of shoes, and one of the best addresses and finest guest menus in Washington, D.C. So she was Jesus. spending When I hear French money. maid, who do I think of? What's a fr- If I say French maid, yeah, you know it. I know you're going to know oh, it. Oh, is it Clue? Yes! <laughs> and her boobs are like up into oh her gosh. chin. And she's leaning down to get, oh, oh my what is God, her name? so fucking good. Oh my I don't, God. It's not, is it Annette? I, I think it is Annette. It no, wait. Annette. Yes, I think it is. Something oh, like so that. So fucking funny. So, so yes. good. Yeah. And the other thing that I thought was funny is Coster also notes that at one point, Belknap tried to throw his second wife, mm-hmm. who was dead, and his third wife, the sister, under the bus by saying that they brokered the deal behind his back and he had no knowledge. Oh, God. Now, I don't know. Like, this guy was was an internal revenue collector for Iowa. He knows he only makes $8,000 a year. And there's all these, like, come on. Yeah. He, you, you knew. Like, now you're going to try to blame somebody else. It's so good. <laughs> and so um, the constitutional question of impeaching someone out of office sort of is comes up with this, right? right? Like, And I think it just shows that our Constitution is in constant need of interpretation. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, Stephen Vladek's recent article in the New York Times highlighted why the case for impeachment after the 20th stands and points to Article 1, Section 3, where he says, judgment in cases of impeachment shall not extend further than to removal from office and disqualification to hold and enjoy any office of honor, trust, or profit under the U.S. Mm. And so his article argues that the that disqualification to hold another office is the main point for impeachment after the fact. Mm. And he yes, posits yes, yes. that the Senate has to, quote, first it has to decide whether an officer should be removed. Then it must decide whether this person should be disqualified from holding any future federal office. Yeah. That's I mean, important. This is, it's so important. Yeah, because they always this. run again, bitch. They yes. always run again. So, and that's the story of the impeached Woo! after the fact Secretary of War, William Belknap. Love every second of it. What? Great story, Tina. Great story. Crazy. Okay. Girl, you uh, are not uh, ready for this. <laughs> okay. 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 I'm a little nervous. I'm a, a little t- tiny, tiny. Not really, but oh like. Oh my God, I'm so excited. I am going to cover. <laughs> oh my God. Current. Broward County <gasps> Clerk of Courts. Oh no! Brenda <gasps> Foreman. <laughs> uh oh! Uh oh, bitch! Oh <laughs> my god! Your face is like I have been dreaming to see that face all week. When I I told Alfredo there was somebody else. 
who I still want to fucking do and I will not mention, but every every week I've been bringing it up since the first episode of season <gasps> two. I'm like, I want to do this person. I And he goes, not yet, not yet, not yet. And I'm oh. like, why can I cover this person? Wow, Zers. Um, yeah, so she's still the current clerk of court. So I, I, I'm a little bit like, and we're in this world a little bit. Yes. And I bring up people we have talked to yes. that are involved. And so I feel like I'm, we're involved in this, but not involved in the mucky stuff. But like, we know the players. And so oh, it's so fucking we weird. Okay. We do. Let's. So before we start talking about all this, I can't. I, can't. <laughs> I wanted to give, uh, a brief, I'm going to read you the description of what the clerk's office does in the county because yes. the clerk of courts is really important. I, and I feel like nobody knows what they do. And nobody knows what they do. And there's five, uh, con- what they call constitutional seats in the county for yes. Broward. It's the sheriff. Yes. The state attorney. Ooh, the state pu- attorney. <laughs> Harold, what's yes. up? Yes. Um, the public defender. Yes. The supervisor of elections. Yes. And the clerk of courts. Supervisor of elections. We love so much. Oh too. my gosh. Jovan Scott, please yes. come on the podcast. Okay. So, and we've sent him an invitation. Yes. We'll have to follow up. We got to get him on. So the clerk of courts is really, really important. And I didn't realize that until we do interviews or we did interviews for another organization yes. outside of this. And I interviewed the two people who were running against Brenda Foreman in the November 2020 election. And so I had to do a ton of research about like what's happening what do they here. Do? Yes. Also, when I interviewed the public defender candidates, the same thing. And they had lots of issues with Brenda Foreman as the clerk of courts. Ooh. So all of these systems really work together and the clerk of court's office is really important to the court system so here's the description on their website the office serves 1224 square mile region of south florida which is broward county containing a population of of over 1.8 million people Mm. the organization of approximately 750 employees and the various divisions provide support to 90 judges and 11 magistrates service to the general public and other government agencies huge the core services provide provided include filing court proceedings filing and retrieval of documents such as arrests, traffic citations, affidavits, marriage licenses, probate, and other court-related documents, and the collection of court fees, creation of court dockets, and notification to participants. So it's a really important thing. Yeah, everything goes through there. Everything goes through there. And so it's it's important to have someone running it who also knows what the fuck they're doing. So it's kind of a little piece of it. So before we get into Brenda, I want to talk about Howard Foreman. So Howard Foreman was the clerk of courts in Broward. Um, who forever. Reti- forever. He retired in 2016. Um, he started his political career in 1973 when he was elected to the Hallandale City Commission. Commission, excuse me. He was then elected as Broward County Commissioner from 1976 to 1988. He was a state senator from 1988 to 2000. And then he was elected clerk. And then he retired 16 years later. He was the clerk for 16 years. Um, he retired in 2016 and he was 71 years old when he retired. So, like a 40-year career yes. as a public servant, dedicated public servant. And um, from all accounts, from what I've heard, kind of a nice guy. That's my take and what I've heard about him. Okay. Um, so shortly after his wife Susan passed away in 2011, he started dating a low-level clerk in the office, Brenda Jenkins. Um, and despite their 12-year age difference, they fell in love and they got married in 2013. So a little about Brenda, she studied at Broward College and at the Union Institute University. So prior to working at the clerk's office, her work experience included um, the uh, Child Net, which is like mm-hmm. a website, of state attorney's office. And she's the CEO and founder of B. Dixon Mortgage Company, which is like a real estate 
company. Um, while working at the clerk's office, she had financial difficulties. She filed bankruptcy in 2012, and at the time, her annual salary was $17,392. So Dang. not making a lot over there. They need to pay those clerks <laughs> yeah. more. Come yeah. on. So on the other hand... Howard made great money, right? Yeah. His annual salary as a county clerk was $170,000, <gasps> bitch. Okay? That's a lot. Plus, he you know, had... The, sorry. Yeah, this no. is the thing that drives me nuts. Like, I get it like that, that if you're at the top, you're making the most money. Mm-hmm. But but those clerks that are working full-time in that office, like, you got to pay people more than seven. You got to pay them a living yeah. salary. I hear you. I, I mean, they're doing... They're working for... for you know, a city office. Yeah. Give them a good, decent salary. 17000 I know. It's not. Sorry. No, you're it's right. You're so absolutely right. right. Especially he's making like yes. 10 times that. Come on. So, so plus he had this $800,000 from the state's deferred retirement option program. So what? under Yeah. So under this program called DROP, he's um, eligible state employees freeze their pension and in its place put their accumulating benefits into a lump sum account that is paid upon retirement. Dang. So he had been, you know, he... Listen, Socking he's, away. Yeah, and he's working for the state all, you yeah. know, all those years. Okay. So um, wow. he also, around the time that he uh, retired, was receiving a $9,800 a month pension. What? Yeah. Plus Social Security, what? right? So the motherfucker's rolling in it, right? Oh my God. So a short three years later, problems started in their marriage. Um, Howard announced that he was going to be retiring in 2016. And Brenda decides she's going to run for clerk of courts. Okay. She's going to run for that seat. All right, so she's worked in the office. Okay, so that's what I, listen, okay. I, this is exactly what I wrote. And I'm not, I'm just going to say this. I can't say that she didn't have the qualifications for the job. Like, look, she worked in the office for years and like, yeah. why not? Anybody can run, for, just fucking yes. go take a chance. Like, what's the deal? Yes. You're going to run for it? Great. Now, as a human being, <laughs> I have been asked to run for things several times. Yes. And I go, you're out of your fucking mind. One, I go, who am I running against? I can't beat them. Two, I'm, I'm not even close to being prepared to be, to do that kind of job, right? Like, know your limits yes. and know who you are. Yes. And you have to realize too, like, like the significant life change that that absolutely that that makes, you know, like everything's in the spotlight. You have to, you know, like it's like you're on all the time. Yes. And you have to be willing to have that sacrifice. Absolutely. Yeah. It, all of it is a sacrifice. So, and a little different than like running for commission, being a clerk of courts, it's a I mean, commission is a real job. I'm yes. not saying it's not, but it's also mostly a part-time job for people. They usually have a full-time job yes. and do this as a, you know, to serve on the side yeah, yes. and they get but paid, still, but still but it's like not, you have, I mean, you're in charge of like resolutions it's huge. And, no, it's huge. and, you know, ordinances and all yes. of this stuff. And that like, you have to understand like what is coming before you. Yes. And, you, and I've heard it's like tons of reading, like seven, 70 of hours reading. of reading. And it's like a lot of work. I mean, so, I, I worked for a short while as that town clerk yes. and I had to look at all of that stuff. And I had, I was, you know, the bookkeeper of all of that stuff. And if you don't know what you're reading, yeah, you know, you're going to be signing things and, and giving permission to things that could be detrimental. You you do have the entire city staff at your disposal to call up and be like, what's this garbage? Yes. No, you have like Like, your attorney, but if you're the the clerk of courts yes, and with 750 fucking people working for you, plus the responsibility of that office. That's huge. It's humongous. So yeah, you got to know how to delegate. You got to know how yeah. to manage. So basically she runs for this seat with no political experience, no college degree and no background in management. Oh, well, yeah, no. So I, okay. I'm just and saying, I see that. Yeah. So, uh, we'll get into some of the major things that happened, um, since she was in office, like I'll get into it, but you know, she had that form in last name. 
and we know voters are yes. lazy as fuck, right? Name so recognition. They, they had it. it the right. She had the right name recognition in her on the ballot, and she has actually said she knows that helped her. She knew yes. that the foreman name was going to help her get elected. And when you, for 16 years, are voting in Broward County, and, and then you, you go back to the foreman. ballot and you see you're foreman like, oh, again, yeah. you're like, yeah, da, da, da. They don't know. Okay. So she won the election in November 2016 against beating Broward Democratic Party Chair Mitch Caesar, who I did not know ran for that seat. I did not know that. But that's I, know that he, I know that he's like run and for yeah. several different he's done things. things yeah. yeah. Um, so her new salary was $165,000 per year. Could you go imagine going from 17 to that 165? No, can I have, wait, 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 can I run for some, <laughs> what am I running for? Can I run? And then she, of course, and now she's in charge of 750 employees and a $37 million budget. Ooh, yeah. So you got to know what you're doing. Oh my God. See, I oh would my like, God, it's nuts. I would, I, the, the budget alone would give me anxiety. Oh Yeah. Because, like, you cannot mess that up. Right. It's really, impo- it's really important. So, um, so here we go. Uh-oh. So shortly after her win, which was in November of 2016, Howard filed for divorce. So I don't, I have to tell you, I haven't gone back. I haven't looked at the articles. I don't know how supportive he was of this, of her running and getting this. Like, I don't know what was happening there. But if he filed, I don't know if they were separated. And then she, you know, said she's going to run. And then he files for divorce, you know, after the election. I, I just really don't know. Um, but anyway, he, yeah. he's like, I'm out. So he files for divorce on March 29th, two, 2017. And the oh, date, you know, what's funny is he's got to file in the court. Where the court she's, yeah. <laughs> That's it. yeah, you're right. So, um, she goes, Awkward. Yeah. <laughs> honey, why are you here today? Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> could you imagine? It's so weird. So, and everyone, are, everyone works like, there, knows Hi, everything. And they're here. like, oh, oh, <laughs> you know that flew around the office <laughs> oh so quick. <laughs> that is so funny. So she, he files for divorce on March 29th, 2017. And the date's important because the very next day, on March 30th, 2017, Brenda files paperwork in the courts to declare Howard senile <gasps> and to appoint herself guardian of his personal <gasps> and financial affairs. No. Yeah. Oh, no. Wait a minute. You didn't know this part about this girl? Did you know? You didn't know this? I feel like I feel like I heard this. Okay. But like, I, I forgot. So it's like insane that it's the next day, right? That's kind of fucking, well, talk about that, awkward. That, well, that, feels, that what, feels deliberate. That yeah, feels so like, deliberate. oh, you're going to divorce me? Well, I'm going to, I'm yeah. going to. Oh, wait, I think I know that she, that she like Baker acts him or something. No, 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 no. Oh, no. Okay. So she does this thing, right? Okay. So, uh, that's, but it. you can't just like claim someone as senile and take over. You can't, you can't do that. Okay. That's, it's ridiculous. But she, but she did. But she does. She files, and... but is she granted? No. Oh, okay. let me. What? Well, hey, so I gotta nervous. get into this. I'm so nervous. Let me, let me walk, okay. baby. We're taking baby steps here, bitch. Okay. So, she said that he was absent-minded and forgetting to take his medication and forgetting to go to doctor's appointments. He would see her. She would see him like drop medication, like keep walking, like just. She, this is how she's what she's describing. So his lawyers immediately filed a claim to stop this from happening. They're yes. Like, no. And they claim that Howard was nowhere near mentally incapacitated. They also claim that Brenda was only trying to stall an inevitable divorce. Right. And there were rumors around the courts, the court, you know, house, the courthouse that she was also trying to drag him, drag this out to make him spend a lot of his money on lawyers and that kind of thing. Um, So, yeah. So they go to a hearing to prove that Howard did have the mental capacity to handle his own affairs. And at one point in here, I think it was June, like right after March. So in June... Um, Howard actually hired somebody to be an independent person to look over his affairs 
to uh, not because of his mental abilities, right. like uh, capabilities, but to just have somebody else in charge of it. Yes. And well, kind of put a, a barrier. And plus he's like 70 years yeah. old. Like put a barrier there. But imagine, I mean, that you have to go to court to prove yeah. that you're not senile yeah. and, and, and the fear of like, oh, oh my God, what, what, what if this person can take all yes. this. Yeah. And, and now is in control his of his lifetime of work. That is so scary. So, um, very scary. Yeah. His, so his lawyers called a string of witnesses to vouch for his acuity, including his divorce, divorce lawyer, James Stark, former County commissioner, Lois Wexler and Pembroke Pines wow. commissioner, Iris Sipple, who was the chief assistant when he ran the clerk of court's office from 2001 to 2016. The witnesses each said, um, Howard Foreman was lucid with a strong memory for people, names and politics. Wexler said she saw him in late, December 2016 and had a conversation about politics and their memories as public officials. She said she never questioned his memory. Like he was, he was oh there. Right. So in December of 2017, a committee of three independent examiners concluded that Howard C. Foreman quote is not incapacitated in any respect. So wow. dismiss the case. Right. Wow. So next wow. in, wow. so yeah. So a month later in January, 2018, there were hearings to determine if Brenda acted in bad faith when she filed the claims about Howard. So oh. now it's like your claims are thrown out and now they're like, honey, the, the, the lawyer, his lawyer's are like, you're not getting away with this. Yeah. Because and it I smears mean, his name. It's gross in well, public. It's but, just but it's fucking also nasty. Really scary because when you have control of someone yeah. like that, you can do whatever you want. Yes. You can drain all their money. You can throw them yeah. in an institution. You can do yeah. anything. And yes. you, you're, you're powerless. Yes. So it's, this isn't, and you yeah, can't just file things and get away with it like that. So they bring her to court and to find that she filed, they, they wanted to find, okay, to find that she filed her claim in bad faith, Broward Circuit Judge Mark Spicer would have to believe that Brenda Foreman knew her husband was not incapacitated, right? Like mm. she knew he was okay and did this anyway. But how do you prove that? Right. So if he found, if he did find that she acted in bad faith, his lawyers would be, then, then be entitled to seek legal fees associated with fighting the claim. And lo and behold, in March, 2018, Judge Mark Spicer found that Brenda did act act in bad faith when she challenged his <gasps> mental capacity they just brought evidence right yeah. like here's all the reasons why she would do this to stall to take right. money to make you know whatever right um, or and maybe there's other evidence that shows that he is like in her conversations right. with him that he is and, lucid if there's text messages if they're you know what i yeah, mean and he was one of the three independent judges who found that he was fine so because even that in of, a, of itself is enough reason to know she acted in bad faith yes right so um his attorneys are seeking fifty thousand dollars in legal fees from her Okay, what happens because we're on the Muck Pot podcast, oh, right? No. Four years later, 2020, Brenda Foreman's going to run for re-election, yes. right? Yes. So during this time, all these other things are happening in the office. So yes, she's had this trial. She's got to get up in front of the court and be like, Yeah, no. that's personal. Yes, okay. So she was challenged by uh, two uh, retired judges um, and... Her ex-husband, Howard Foreman. <laughs> it's, it's so good. It's so good. And you know he wanted to retire. And you Woo! know he's probably like, I'm yes! just doing this because he's he, so mad. I, I remember seeing him at these forums. Oh, this poor man. I let mean, him rest. He's like, but I just love this idea that he's like coming into that forum like, honey, I'm not getting out of, like just just for spite. Like he probably Ugh. didn't even care about winning. He was just like, I got to get out there and just yes. give her a hard time. Yes. Right. So one of the judges was Mark Spicer who presided over the cases with her ex-husband. <gasps> Remember Mark Spicer? Yes. We talked oh, about him before. she's probably like, Oh my goodness. Yeah. And the other was judge Paul Backman and they both, yes. and in the interviews that I've done with them, they both were just talking about her incompetence as oh. a clerk and how the court system in Broward is actually suffering having this person as the clerk of courts. So, because it's so, a mess. 
So were there any um, articles or anything that came out that talked about her sort of failings as yes so let me get into some of that so during her four years as the clerk there were some major issues within the department the first one was um the broward county public defender howard finkelstein went public numerous times saying that his office was being shorted on the fines and fees that the clerk's office was supposed to collect and give his office so he brought this up during when howard was the clerk of courts and then also when brenda was the clerk of courts so when, when somebody is arrested and they get a public defender, right. they have to pay a $50 application fee. It's right. not a free, it's not a free defense. It's right. cheap, but it's yes. not free. So, um, and then any other fines, like let's say they don't plead out, like they want to go to court, like any other things that they have to pay, they pay to the clerk of courts and the public defender's office. That's a huge part of their budget is oh, yeah. the so fines they and fees have to that are take paid. That so the clerk of courts takes that money yeah, and public defender gives it. So According to a Sun Sentinel article from January 2018, Finkelstein says he said he believed that the clerk's office was shorting his budget, quote, anywhere from $100,000 to $900,000 oh per my year. God. Like, cannot, and then can't, they can't account for it. So her response That's a lot of money. Yeah. That's like people's salaries. And, <laughs> yeah. Wow. And public defenders don't make shit. They don't make any money. And they money. work fucking and tremendous hours. Oh my God. Oh my God. Her response a month later was to express confidence in her office's process, documenting collections and payments in a handful of cases that were cited by Finkelstein. And um, when I talked to the public defenders, uh, people running for that seat, their first, uh, when they were running in 2020, their first job was, was, was going to be asking for a full yes. audit of that office. Yes. And I, Gordon Weeks, who was then elected now, is the public defender. I haven't seen him bring that up, but he was a huge part of Finkelstein calling for this, yes. saying there's some, so there's something, there's a shortfall happening here. And where is the money? And so there has still not been an audit as far as I know, but they definitely need to have one. Yes. Because pub, uh, being, Getting having public defense in this country, it's a huge cornerstone of our justice yes. system, and it's absolute right of every single Miranda, person. Baby. Yes, <laughs> and if you need it, like it, you, you should have it. It should yes. be there. But if if we don't if we don't have enough oh my, public defenders or enough money to pay them or whatever, oh my god. Okay, so a couple other things. So uh, first of all, she needs to stay offline. Like this, <gasps> she should not be online at all. Okay. Uh-oh. So during the campaign. She had some incidences on Facebook. Uh-oh. First, she posted a rambling video on July seventeenth, twenty twenty, about having co- when about having COVID, and what God thought of her two opponents. So she says, For- Foreman said God gave her a list of people to expose while she was battling COVID nineteen late last month. Quote: This is one of her quotes from there. Took me out of my physical body, took me above the clouds. All I could see was light. God started speaking to me as to what to do. End quote. Uh oh. Then she says, quote. Paul Backman, who's somebody running against her, <gasps> you are number one that God wants me to expose. You need education. Having an uneducated mind is a terrible thing to waste, end quote. Then she said this of Mar- about Mark Spicer, the judge Mark Spicer, right? Um, quote, there have been times I, <laughs> wait, this is really funny. Quote, there have been times I would sit in the judge's parking lot and watch Judge Spicer have a mental breakdown because <gasps> he can't figure out how to get out of the gate <laughs> to go into the building. <laughs> end quote. What? Oh my God. What? <laughs> Wait, Girl. and she's posting this on her like public. She, it's a video. She's ra- like rambling. But in like, this video. is it on her personal page or is it on her like I, I am? I you know it's clerk gotta of be. Page. I, I it's gotta be your personal like Facebook. But, but still, it's public. Still, Everybody can see yeah. it. So then she has this fight with a blogger. Um, 
the, the criminal investigation they had to get into with her is that she committed perjury when she accused attorney slash blogger Bill Gellin of pestering her through the halls of the Broward Courthouse in downtown Fort Lauderdale, mm-hmm. whipping out his cell phone camera and failing to honor her refusal to be photographed. The dispute pitted Gellin's right to document a public official in a public setting against Foreman's fear for her expectation of some measure of privacy, even when out in the, on, the pub, on the job, right, in public. Yeah, so, but this is the thing, and we talk about this all the time, like, and we just said it, when you run, yeah, like, you're, you are making the choice to put yourself in the public eye, right. and your life changes, and now, that's and what it is. It's not like she is. was at the grocery store. No, 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 you're, like, in your element of where yeah. you're working, Yeah, that's part of it. Yes. So she complained to the Broward Sheriff's Office and the Florida Bar, signing sworn statements characterizing Gellin's behavior as, quote, stalking. <gasps> The case was transferred to the Miami-Dade State Attorney's Office because Brenda used to work at the Broward State off- Attorney's Office, right? So that was one now, of her... Oh, so now she's trying to get friends to help yeah, her. Yeah, out. so she they couldn't take the case. It would, it would have oh. been bad. So they sent it to Miami-Dade. And then Gellin oh, countered with the video footage, shown, which showed his distance from the clerk and law enforcement's refusal to stop him from recording at the clerk. So the, there was cops there who were like, you can, you can film her. Yeah. Like, it's not a big deal. So she accused Foreman of li- or he accused Foreman of lying about the encounters under oath, and then Miami Dade just threw the case out. They're like, it doesn't. This yeah. is we're not fucking going. Out. We're not going to file criminal charges oh my against God. her. Yeah, like this is so such a waste of time. <laughs> I know. So here's like such a, a here's waste a of time. Yeah, these attorneys have other stuff to worry about. <laughs> I know. Like I just like just do your jobs, people. And doesn't she have enough to do? Like what? She is- has a whole <laughs> shitload of stuff to do, and a she whole. She should be auditing like- those books, honey. Oh my god! Okay, so the same month that she had posted um, that rambling video, she posted a graphic on Facebook that oh, was a god. picture of Adolf Hitler next to a quote, and it turns out that the quote wasn't even a Hitler quote. She ended up taking the post down, but she was called out by elected officials, including represent U.S. Rep. Um, Debbie Wasserman Schultz, U.S. Rep. Alcee Hastings, U.S. Rep. Ted Deutsch, my secret boyfriend, and U.S. <laughs> Rep. Uh, Frederick Wilson. And in their statement, uh, they said, quote, Broward County Clerk of Courts Brenda Foreman owes our entire community an apology and for why she reposted what she represented to be the words and image of Adolf Hitler, using Hitler to convey any point or view or a view or message is reckless and wildly insensitive. The post is bogus and sharing this misattributed message is not only painful and harmful, it is also repulsive that she would amplify this supposed wisdom from the world's most heinous mass murderer, yeah, anti-Semitic well, white supremacist. Bah, I bah, 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 mean, bah. Uh, <laughs> right? Why is she doing that? Um, so some speculated it's because her two, so Howard Foreman, who was her ex-husband that was running against her in the race, he ended up stepping out of the race. Yes. Because Paul Backman got in first and then Mark Spicer got in. And so he thought yeah, one they, of these guys yes, they'll will be get her. it. Yeah. Um, but both of those men are, are Jewish. And so some oh. speculated that she did that. Now she, she took the post down because she's like, I didn't know that was Adolf Hitler. <laughs> Like, I mean, I don't know who that I, is. I feel like I just like the quote, and the quote wasn't even about. And the quote was like, you know, just I don't I know. Mean, it's just stupid. I, I feel like political figures that everybody knows. I mean, he's hello. one of them. Hello, how can anybody? That is say? public knowledge, right? Right. You know, if it was a picture of uh, the guy I covered, Belknap, yes. then you could say oh, I didn't know that was Belknap because yeah, who yeah. the hell knows what this guy <laughs> looks like? You know what I mean? But yeah, no, no, it's gross. It, I, it, there's no excuse for this. No. So, despite all of this, <laughs> on November 3rd, 2020, Brenda Foreman was reelected the Broward clerk, of yes. course. 
And I have to say, like, I, I really enjoyed the conversations that I had with those two guys that were running against her. But unfortunately, when you have more than one person, it splits the vote. It and does. so Brenda ended up walking away with more votes because yeah. you had two guys that were um, in very similar in many ways and yes. very kind to each other. Oh, well, yes. if he wins, it's fine. Oh, if he wins, it's fine. Then one of you needs to step out so that we can have a clear candidate versus Brenda Foreman. Like, yes. It's too split. Anyway, she ends up winning. That's how it is. She's now our clerk of court still. And no, 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 I'm we'll sure see, I look but, forward to another I four years like, of shenanigans. I feel like as um, constituents, can we put pressure, can constituents put pressure on that office for an audit or, or, or sure, you know, um, to put a call for that or to look into to see what's happening? I think that would be absolutely appropriate for us to do that. Yes. Yes. Especially because they need... The money in the public defender's office. Yes. You know, I mean, this isn't right. No, not right. Oh my God. I can't believe that you come it up. I was, I'm still a little nervous about it, but you know what? Yes. Because here's the thing. She's a woman of color. Yeah. I'm not here to disparage women of color or anyone of color ever. Like I just, you know, but it was a, it was also a big deal that, of all those five these, constitutional the, yes. offices, every single person who was elected in November 2020 yeah, no, was a person amazing. of color. It's and amazing. it was so, it was a proud moment for yes. our county. Yes. And I she's mean, part of that. Yes. And I am proud of that. Yes. A hundred percent. It's just But honey. at the same time, um, <laughs> at the same time, you know, we have to have uh, accountability in, yeah. in, in these offices. Yes. You know? Absolutely. So absolutely. And why I, I t I'm just curious as to why the money isn't being sent. Like, is there other issues with because, the you know? and, uh, this? So Howard Finkelstein was saying that um, he was comparing like Miami Dade public defenders are getting this, uh, you know, their office is getting this money and um, Palm Beach is getting this. Like it was like a, almost a million dollars short of what Broward was getting. And yeah. there's no excuse for that whatsoever. Yeah. So, I don't know. I'm very curious about that resolving itself. And I hope that they actually can get something done because she, if she's not doing that, not doing her job, collecting money is a, is like the number one thing that they do. Yes. You know what I mean? And then just, they have to allocate it to the proper places. Yes. <sighs> what a good story. Thank Ooh. you. Thank you. All right. Well, another one in the bag. Another we are about one. to, um, do a little muck that I, I put a post up on my Instagram stories today. Like I started reading this woman's bio and I got tears in my eyes, bitch. Yeah. Like I'm so fucking excited so uh, good. about talking to her. And like, I think you sent that email out to try yes. to get her on. And I thank you so much for that. Like, I can't wait. I'm so proud of these interviews we're doing on yes. little muck and the stories and the things that we're talking about. I went back and listened to, um, on Friday, our little muck with uh, Carolyn Light and oh my God. Melba Pearson came oh, out. It was so good. It's so good. So, so, so good. I, I, it's completely, you know, eye-opening. Yeah, I mean, women. I thought I knew stuff about Stand Your Ground. Yeah. And it's just fucking incredible what, they're, what the things that they talk about. And the fucking work Melba Pearson is doing. Oh, my God. For those women that Lowell Institutional, <gasps> Correctional Institution. Uh, fucking A, dude. Like, it's incredible. so exciting. Incredible. and. I'm so proud of the work that we're doing on Lil Muck. And, yeah. uh, Lil Muck is, I, I don't is know. turning into like such a wonderful little thing. Yeah, and we have more guests coming yes. up that I'm so excited about. We're doing another one next week. And then, and then yes. oh my God, forget about it. Yes. I'm so excited. So <gasps> I hope you have a wonderful week. Yes, you too. Thank you. Bye. Bye.
If you want to see any photos or take a deeper dive into our stories, please follow the episode notes on our website, themuckpodcast.fireside.fm, and be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at The Muck Podcast. To support The Muck Podcast, please visit our Patreon page. We have three levels of support and different goodies for each level, Muckraker, Policy Wonk, or Bleeding Heart. We can't do it without you. Music for The Muck Podcast, written and performed by Sean Doherty.